0: Welcome to Beyond the Show, a new podcast series that brings the educational experience of Cannabis Conference to the airwaves. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Conference. It's June 2021, and we're planning an action packed cannabis conference for later this summer in Las Vegas, August 24th to the 26th, to be exact. You can learn more about the show at cannabisconference.com, and you can go beyond the show by subscribing to this series where we'll be connecting with plant-touching conference speakers from around the industry, world-class operators in a changing environment. Today, to kick things off, I spoke with Michelle Hackett, the president of Riverview Farms in California. Riverview Farms is female minority-owned, and 75% of the company's workforce is minority women. The company, established in 2016, was the first operation in the Salinas Valley to receive an exemption to grow cannabis within Monterey County. Michelle, who was first exposed to agriculture in college, continued her path by joining her father and RVF founder Mike Hackett in 2017, running the company's sales division. She eventually took over the company's full operation with her sister, Lauren. During her tenure at Riverview Farms, Michelle has fostered connections with some of the largest brands, distributors, and retail outlets in the state, and her take no prisoners attitude and drive has helped her break barriers. And continue to challenge county regulators to improve the rules and guidance for cannabis operators. Michelle holds a bachelor's degree in business administration from St. Mary's in Moraga, California. At Cannabis Conference 2021, she'll be speaking on the all access session Greenhouse Facility Design, which will be happening on day one of the show. Please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Michelle Hackett. Thank you for the time today. You know, I wanted to begin just by sort of looking at the calendar. It's, uh, it's mid-May, of course, and, and this, this episode will be out in June, uh, but just wanted to get a sense from you of the Salinas Valley and uh, what the weather is like this week and what, I know you're a year-round facility, but what may typically means at Riverview Farms.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, The Salinas Valley is considered the ag capital of the world. So we produce more fresh vegetables, leafy greens, artichokes than any any other place in the United States. Um, So this is peak season. We've just uh, started kind of kicking off the year. Um, Our big uh, push is really um, Easter through November. That's when you can consider us in peak season. And cannabis is now part of that agricultural community. Um, You know, we've taken old greenhouses. Um, that the Japanese use to cultivate flowers, and we've retrofitted them to be uh, greenhouse operations that produce 365 days a year, but now we're getting optimal sun. Most of us in the Salinas Valley don't have supplemental lighting, so it's, um, you know, it's a hybrid style, um, growing in greenhouse format, and um, we're really excited to get into peak season and introduce uh, our new genetics for 2021. So this will be the first crop that we're harvesting that has our all new 2021 genetic library. So I would consider this probably the most exciting time of our year.
0: Well, sort of on that note, um, because I think that's uh, an important part of the Riverview story as well, um, with the 2020 genetics line coming out shortly, how much time goes into that in the past? Uh, meaning how much time has sort of built up to uh, this first cycle here?
1: Um, So we are planning over a year out as, you know, we are constantly rotating our mother stock. Um, This year, uh, greenhouse cultivators have been hit very strongly with the hoplite and viroids. So making sure that everything is clean um, and ready for uh, mass production for the peak season. Um, So introducing all the new genetics takes about a year. We've already planned ourselves through the end of 2021 and we are planning for 2022 as we speak. Um, So we're normally planning over a year in advance to ensure that we have the proper cycle of plants for the time of year in which we're growing. So we do have a different genetic library based off of peak sun production, as well as what we would consider, you know, our low light or winter crop selection and varieties. So we have pre-vetted what works for our winter crops and those strains are already selected. So for this year, we are already pre-planned into 2022.
0: Excellent. Um, I certainly want to Get into some more of the uh, the nursery elements and the genetic side of things, uh, but just want to back up real quick as as the conversation gets going. Um, of course, Riverview Farms is a family run business uh, started back in two thousand and sixteen by your father and just wanted to get a sense from you of of where you entered the picture and and what about cannabis and this family business in particular drew you in
1: yeah, absolutely so. Um, My family have owned the greenhouses in which we cultivate on um, for the past 20 years. And so the properties have been in our family for many generations. Um, My family are third generation agricultural. um, And when my dad started this venture back in 2016, he actually was the first person in Monterey County to get the exemption to grow medical cannabis in Monterey County, which was very exciting. Um, Very shortly after, um, he asked me to leave my job, which was at a local uh, produce grower shipper called Church Brothers. And when I chose to leave um, the company and join Riverview Farms, I was very um, excited to join a new and emerging industry, especially with little to no female presence. And so I joined him as president of the company to create structure and SOPs and a sales department and a finance department and uh, learn the ins and outs of the business sides of things while my dad was getting busy um, retrovating the greenhouses, getting them ready for production. And so we, um, we've we really had a, a fun um, and <laughs> an ever-evolving working relationship. Um, you know, I've always looked up to my dad as a, as a mentor in business and, and in life. So it's a once in a lifetime time opportunity to get to work with my dad, who has built many successful businesses in the past. And even more exciting is my sister came on board as well um, over over a year ago to head up our retail sales division. So it's all in the family. We're eagerly waiting for my younger sister, Grace, to hopefully join the business as well. And um, she is in her senior year at St. Mary's. So we're very excited and proud of her. Um, so it's, it's definitely a family affair, but not just us as the Hackett family running Riverview Farms, we look at our entire staff as a family. What's really unique about Riverview Farms is we're over a 75% female workforce. We're female-owned and operated, and I think that's really unique in the cannabis industry right now.
0: I would say so, yeah. Uh, Both um, the uh, predominantly female workforce, uh, the family story here, um, I think that adds an important touch to, to the business and how it interacts with consumers and and the broader California landscape, just in general. Um, You know, for you, uh, when you started really getting into the work at Riverview, uh, what were some of the, I guess, learning curves like, um, specifically in working with greenhouse grown, year round greenhouse grown cannabis? What were some of the initial uh, challenges or um, learning curves that you personally were navigating?
1: So I think there's several parts of that question if we're being transparent. Anybody that's building a business from the ground up knows that, you know, it does not come without challenges, risk and reward. Um, but I think one of the major takeaways that me and my family has was at the very beginning of Riverview Farms, you know, my family and I would be very transparent to say that we were not weed people, we were agriculture people. So we didn't have the growing experience yet needed to maximize our yields and efficiencies here at the farm. So we had uh, sought out um, very well-known names in the industry, which I won't name now, but um, you know people that were considered the best of the best. and we wanted to find an opportunity to partner in which um, they would cultivate on the land and you know we would work together in tandem to really build a very successful brand and business. And what we realized very quickly is, you know, we have run many businesses in the past, not cannabis operations, but we had run many businesses in the past, and we look for, you know, consistency. We look for cost efficiency. We look for, um, transparency. We look for all the, all the right things that it takes to run a business. And, you know, we aren't those weed people that are here to have a good time. This is our lifeline. This is our business. Um, and every decision we make, um, can cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we, um, we decided we were best off to do it on our own without consultants, without growers from, you know, legacy or or years of experience, we, we really took a lot of risk in doing it ourselves and finding people like-minded to us that wanted to work hard and make this a successful business and doing it on our own was probably the best decision we ever made. I think there was also a lot of a learning curve working with our state and with our county in terms of what it took to be compliant. We're still learning every single day as the rules and regulations ebb and flow and change in regards to what it means to be a compliant grower here in the state of California, as well as within your county. Each county has different rules and regulations and what happens on one inspection may change from from inspector to inspector. And so it's an ever evolving, never ending laundry list of um, tasks and and very costly improvements that uh, both the state and the county want to see from us cultivators. that takes time and it takes money and it takes effort. So um, that continues to be um, a learning curve in that. I don't, I don't quite know if you know the state and county re- realizes and recognizes that every ask they have of us can cost us as cultivators hundreds of thousands of dollars and time and energy. So it's not just a snap of a finger and we can change our entire environment overnight. For Monterey County, you had to be um, an existing structure, a greenhouse had to be physically on your property in order for us to even apply for a license. So we were forced into these old greenhouses that now they're wanting us to retrofit very quickly to be up to code, and um, that comes with several challenges.
0: Yeah, one thing I was going to ask was pretty much just about that. You know, in terms of the Riverview property and the greenhouses themselves, um, and maybe you sort of partially began answering the question just there, but. Uh, were these greenhouses already on the property and being used for other crops or, or what was um, what was that like in terms of getting the property together?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we had um, old Japanese wood houses here on um, our property and the structures, like I said, they were over 20 years old. That's what the Japanese used to grow poinsettias, succulents, other various forms of flowers and um, for many years they were left vacant. They did not have fire sprinklers, they didn't have ridge vents. They did not have dosatrons. They did not have any of the current technology that most cultivators are using. So what we were first asked to do was to um, begin the retrofitting process of getting these greenhouses up to code fairly quickly. And over time, you know, we also wanted to expand and put up um, new state-of-the-art greenhouses. But in order to do that, you know, it takes about a year from the time that you submit your plans to actually getting into construction, not counting the fees and the plan check and RMA and environmental health and all the other (laughs) elements that it takes. Um, So Riverview Farms has currently a total of uh, 20 acres of of actual property, but but roughly 400-450,000 square feet of actual cultivation, not including our vegetative space and the space we need for our moms. Um, Riverview Farms chooses to be a vertically integrated operation, so we do control everything we do from seed to sale, which is in and of itself very unique. Most cultivation sites are buying their clones and teens, you know, from a third party, whereas we do everything in-house here.
0: Excellent, and well, Ian, in terms of that word control uh, that stands out to me there, you know, with the greenhouse-grown cannabis, of course, you're relying so much on the natural environment around and inside the greenhouses. And so when it comes to the control of that environment, um, just at a high level, what are some of the just inherent challenges or um, complexities of growing cannabis in a greenhouse environment?
1: Well, obviously the number one factor that controls our yields, our THC is, you know, the sunlight, the exposure to daylight we have every single day is obviously ranging and changing. And we really start to see that peak production, you know, right around this time, you know, we look for, you know, more sun, (laughs) more production. Um, But I think it also um, has to do a lot with your temperature controls from the start to finish of your product. So, you know, the temperature controls, not only in the greenhouse, but also in our dry space, you know, making sure we are very quickly and efficiently bucking and trimming, you know, our crops and getting them out to market. So we have fresh, consistent supply chain. Um, I'd also say, you know, the, the feed from, you know, a cloning stage all the way to the finished feed, you know, we're mixing all of our fertilizers by hand, which is Um, in and of itself very unique. I think a lot of cultivators choose to buy pre-made mixes or um, not take the easy way but you know find something that's that easy and work works for them because when you are trying to feed uh, 450,000 square feet of cultivation it is a full-time job to manage all the variables needed to properly water and feed these plants. Um, So we take a lot of pride in doing it on our own and those are just some of the few things that we do here that I think kind of set us apart. We also have a water recycle program on the farm that um, helps us to ensure that, you know, nothing goes wasted. So we are actually collecting any excess water runoff um, from our cultivation rooms and using it in other ways around the farm which I think is, you know, um, putting us ahead of some of our competitors, you know, trying to be ecologically sound and, and just um,
0: do the right thing. Yeah, and with that idea of sort of adapting to not only the property and the land, but also the plant's needs itself. Um, you know, going back to that idea of, of retrofitting these greenhouses and really putting the needs of the plant first. Um, what were some of the, the more important elements that you began to integrate into these greenhouses, whether that's just the materials or um, equipment within the buildings uh, just some sort of high level tips when it comes to laying out a, a greenhouse retrofit
1: yeah so i mean a couple a couple things that speak you know quickly in my mind is one thing we did right off the bat in all of our cultivation rooms were we um, implemented a racking system. So all the plants are up off the ground on a rack system. Um, so none of the plants are directly on the ground. This is great for sanitation purposes. This allows us to collect that water runoff. It's, it's very visible to see if we have, um, you know, one of our drip irrigators not properly working, if there's no leaching coming out of those pots and the pots are, are dry or moist, whereas maybe you would not see that um, firsthand if the pots were just simply on the ground. Um, So that's one of our really simplistic um, ideals. But when you come to like a more complex uh, situation, you know, we are um, using um, a Hortimax system here on the property in all the cultivation houses, which is a temperature control system that our cultivators and some of the leads on our team have access to via, you know, iPhone, iPad, um, to ensure that the temperature controls both inside and outside the greenhouse are working, you know, 24 seven for us. Um, obviously, all of these greenhouses needed, you know, blackout systems, which we did not um, have prior. So pulling curtains, making sure that we have the necessary the nec- necessary tools to get these plants into flower. Um, you know, another big thing has been investing in, um, you know, tech- technology. We've recently purchased um, a new way scale, which will help us um, if more quickly and, if, and effectively um harvest our products and and transport our data into metrics. So we're always looking for ways to be innovative and ensure that we are doing things as quickly and cost-effectively as possible. We've also taken a lot of what we know from agriculture and retrofitted those things to work here. Um, And an example of that is our automatic potting machine. I don't know if anyone has that machine, but this automatic potting machine has um, really allowed us to um, speed up our production of transplants and so what we do is we're able to dump a whole pallet load of soil into a hopper and um, it makes it much more of a less labor intensive and enjoyable experience for our workforce as well so these pots are filled with soil and they come down a conveyor belt and all the ladies need to do is drop the transplant into the pot and out it goes um, ready to be um, put on a trailer that will be taken directly into the flowering house it belongs in. So um, there are many things that we have tried to integrate here that have been very successful. Some that are, you know, um, vegetative or agriculture or, uh, you know, pieces of equipment that, that weren't necessarily made for cannabis, but we have made to work and have become very successful tools that we rely on every day here at the farm.
0: Yeah, in terms of that idea of efficiency and and cost-effectiveness, do those calculations change considerably or in any unusual ways uh, when it comes to the winter months or, or, you know, markedly colder temperatures?
1: You know, we've seen a huge uptick right now in in materials. So um, they're due to, obviously, COVID-19, and you know um, the limitations on you know transportation you know across the globe, getting raw materials for any improvements or um, continued continued you know growth or expansion needed on your farm. Even the cost of you know <laughs> lumber, the co- the cost of soil. We're having to purchase about six months out right now. If you want um, specific greenhouse material, um, some of those are about a year wait. So we are seeing now more than ever, you know, a real um, a real bottleneck when it comes to supplies, specifically greenhouse materials um, as well as soil. But it ebbs and flows, obviously, based off of you know our cannabis community's needs. There's a lot of cultivators coming on board, not just in Monterey County, but you know, throughout the state. Um, and we are, um, for the most part, probably pulling from similar suppliers. So making sure that there is, um, you know, enough to go around.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And, uh, you know, certainly on one hand, just speaking as a homeowner, trying to get some projects done, uh, but it's, it's a familiar story really all around the US. Um, just curious, as we look ahead through 2021, are there uh, certain Projects or or even expansion plans, in to one degree or another, that, that you're trying to take care of. We it really are. Here. We
1: have several projects in the hopper. We are looking to um, put up a new dry facility on um, our property, as well as expand to another about 110,000 square feet on our second property. Um, both of which are at the beginning phases. You know, we have you know plans submitted to the county and state. Um, and we're hopeful that this year those will become realities, but um, just with the county in and of itself, um, you know, I I play a a big role in um, participating with our county and and being very vocal and uh, working together to advocate for our industry, and right now we're at about a 13-week lead time just to get comments back from the county, after you submit a um, first application, so there's definitely a bottleneck of staff at the county and state level as well, which um, doesn't help us as cultivators. It hurts us. So we are definitely wanting to expand, but there is um, some delays as of now.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I know you had mentioned uh, earlier water collection and, and reuse. Um, and I, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on just some of the broader climate considerations, um, certainly in, in California, but you know, this is part of a conversation all over the U.S. and the world, really. Um, so whether it's water collection and reuse or or other things, what are what are some uh, things that, that growers can implement in the greenhouse environment specifically to make it a bit more of a sustainable uh, environment, not only for the plants and the business, but for the A broader region really?
1: Yeah so I mean a couple things that we that we implement here is we use drip irrigation which I think in and of itself as opposed to hand watering um, can greatly um, you know reduce your overall water use. Um, Also just you know our um, our pot uh, program so all of the pots that are used within our cultivation uh, cycle now, go through a sanitation after um, after flowering, and we actually reuse all the pots on our property um, for uh, many reasons, to obviously reduce cost and to uh, try to be as, you know, ecologically sound as possible. So we are uh, sanitizing and reusing pots on the facility. Um, You know, also just, you know, simple things that I think we are doing that are setting us apart is, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, storage when it comes to, you know, bucking and trimming, you know, we do have, um, you know, uh, cardboard drums and that we use to store product, um, and we are using, um, you know, uh, Perforated liners that allow the product to breathe, and we're able to very quickly switch those out, um, you know, harvest to harvest to make sure there's, you know, um, proper sanitation and no, uh, you know, cross contamination from storing product to product. Um, and you know, we are we are very um, OCD here on the farm. You know, we are constantly, constantly, constantly trying to keep the facility as clean as possible. We do a nightly sanitation um, of our processing room and all of our processing equipment um, to ensure the cleanliness of our finished goods. So, you know, um, we really try to leave no stone unturned to make sure that we are doing things consistently and as clean as possible, not just with COVID-19, but also with the hoplite and viroid that's hit, hit many of us, of us cultivators.
0: Yeah, you know, actually sanitation was one thing that I sort of the direction I was going to head in here um, and specifically thinking about a nursery and the genetic library and just the, the level of cleanliness that's required. Um, so on one hand, I'm interested in that, but also, of course, the hoplite and viroid. Maybe we can start with the hoplite and viroid in particular. Um, you know, I'm sure many listeners uh, and readers are, are going to be familiar with that. We've covered it in Cannabis Business Times and a few different features, but if you could sort of set the stage for, for what that refers to uh, specifically and, and what growers can do to, to sort of mitigate that.
1: Yeah, so obviously the hoplaton vi- viroid is um, a disease that has hit the cannabis plant um, very hard this past year in 2020 and coming into 2021. And what's very interesting is, it. you know, just the term hoplaton, it is something you do not see in the naked eye um, until the very end of your flowering cycle. Hoplaton Voyroid um, dramatically affects your yield, your THC, and your overall production. Um, for, for us as cultivators, you can see a difference in THC alone by up to 10%. So, what that means is if you have a traditional plant, I'm going to just use Chem you know, 4 as an example. If you're growing Chem 4 on your property and you're used to seeing a THC level of 20%, the hoplite and viroid has taken these genetics and completely diminished them to about a 10% THC. Also in terms of yield, if you're used to yielding, you know, I'm, I'm just making this up. If you're used to yielding, you know, 500 pounds of finished usable flower from every crop, you're maybe getting, you know, 250 pounds of usable products. So um, some, some cultivators have seen upwards of 50% um, yield loss. And um, what we've done to um, ensure that you know we are uh, hop latent free is we've made a huge investment. We've actually bought three of the machines that are used at all the major laboratories uh, across the state, and we are doing a triple test. We are we are testing our moms a series of three times, as well as um, making sure that we do not cut off the moms more than three times before trashing them. So we are turning moms over more than ever. Um, and we are, we do not take an, out, any outside genetics, we are 100% um, using our own genetics from seed for the most part. And, um, you know, something that, that I highly, highly recommend is if you um, have any concerns of having the hoplite viroid on your facility, um, you know, immediately begin testing, you know, make sure that your team are sanitizing scissors, make sure they are not uh, co-mingling transplants from mother 1 to mother 2, even if it's the same genetic, um, we have had to put in tremendous protocols to ensure the cleanliness of our plants. And um, we're hopeful that it's, it's, it's paid off because we are coming into the season with all fresh genetics, and uh, we're really excited to um, move forward disease-free.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. And certainly want to, you know, bring the, the nursery element back into this conversation. Um, you know, of course that's uh, an area of the business where as with all other areas, really, but sanitation is, is at a premium there. Um, could you maybe uh, just talk a bit about um, I guess the importance or, or from the Riverview Farms perspective, uh, why it's, it's important to have that uh, genetic library that you're building up and, and why it's a pillar of, of Riverview Farms in the first place.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, having a, having a strong genetic library that appeals to your clientele is is the lifeline of our business, right? I mean, unfortunately, we are still in a place in the market where THC dictates sales, especially for the retail market and, you know, Riverview Farms being, you know, a fully integrated operation. We are our own distribution and we are selling our products direct to retailers as well to uh, broadline distributors. So um, the number one thing that our clients are asking us is, you know, what is the THC content? And if I have that hoplite and viroid here still affecting my plants and, you know, I'm 10 THC percent percentages down in comparison to my competitors, you know, I am at an h- extreme disadvantage. So ensuring the cleanliness of those plants, making sure that all of our staff is wearing gloves, you know, hairnets, you know, sanitizing their tools, you know, wearing lab coats, not commingling rooms that have any issues, even outside of the and viroid. We're growing in a greenhouse and, you know, we are hit with, you know, pests and spider mites, and we're constantly mitigating, you know, the natural elements as well. And also being part of the Salinas Valley, you know, all of the major ag crops around us is a feeding frenzy for all pests. When we have a lettuce field behind us and a romaine field next to us, you know, um, it's a frenzy. They know there's water, they know there's food. And so we have to do everything in our power to mitigate that um, as naturally as possible, as we are very, very, very limited in what we can use on the cannabis plant, as the state has um, banned, um, I believe it's uh, upward of 65 chemicals that traditional ag can use that um, cannabis cannot. So we are we are held to a very, very high standard that is almost considered organic. I mean, there is not an organic certification yet for cannabis in the state of California, but we are we are basically being held to a very, very high standard. Um, of you know what we are able to actually use in spray application for uh, pest mitigation um,
0: here at Riverview Farms. Absolutely. Well, uh, looking ahead here, of course, um, you know we're very excited to have you aboard for Cannabis Conference 2021. And uh, of course, you'll be speaking on the Facility Design Greenhouse Session. That's an all-access session on August 24th. And you know, out in the audience, we'll have some uh, greenhouse operators, uh, some folks who may be looking into uh, expanding into a more perhaps greenhouse conducive environment uh, or folks just interested in learning a bit more about the design around the plant. And obviously we've been covering that in this conversation, but just curious um, what you hope audience members might take away from that session out at Cannabis Conference.
1: Well, I hope that they, they take into consideration all the elements needed to put out a successful crop. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough how important it is to ensure that you do have you know the transparency and the capability to get to that finished flowering plants um successfully and you know year-round if that's ultimately your goal um, for those that have had to source you know clones and teens especially during this hoplite viroid I know many neighbors around me who were not able to source plants and had greenhouses empty this past year. So, um, you know, I think that we have a huge advantage choosing to be a vertically integrated operation. And um, if you're not thinking ahead of all the elements you're going to need to get into those flowering rooms, um, especially with, you know, supply and demand and, and the, price, the price rising for materials, um, I, I can't stress enough the importance of having your own um, area for, for cloning, for vegging, for mothers. Um, To me, that's a crucial element of greenhouse design. And if your facility only has flowering houses, um, ensuring that you hopefully have a contract in place with a local cultivator that is going to consistently give you clean genetics so that you are never um, in a gap or waiting for flowering plants to come into your greenhouses as we are being Taxed 365 days a year. We do not get a tax break um, if we do have if we do not have plants in the room So you want to fill those to max capacity in my opinion
0: <laughs> Absolutely, those are terrific points there and you know, Michelle, we're excited to, to see you out of the show Thank in you. in August You know, we're all just pretty excited just to have any event yeah. on the calendar <laughs> at this point uh, it's, uh, it's pretty great and yeah, we're excited to make cannabis conference 21 uh, you know, one of the first uh, big events back. Really, it's it's going to be a great time. Um, and uh, and yeah, in the meantime, thank you so much for uh, for this conversation today. I think we covered a lot of. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, thank you so much for inviting me back. I know last year I was very excited to be a part of the uh, to be a part of the conference, and even though it took place via Zoom, I'm more excited than ever to be on the panel live in Vegas. So thank you guys so much for having me.
0: And that's how we're going to start Beyond the Show. That was our first episode right there. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michelle Hackett of Riverview Farms in California. She's going to be joining us for Cannabis Conference 2021 in Las Vegas. That's August 24th to the 26th in 2021, of course. You can learn more at CannabisConference.com and stay tuned for future episodes of Beyond the Show. We're going to be releasing a lot more of these wide-ranging interviews with conference speakers every Friday, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as cannabisconference.com. Again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more.